Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply everybody and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass on YouTube. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And today's show is brought to you by our sponsors, LinkedIn. You can use that URL right there, linkedin.com slash beat to post your first job for free. That's linkedin.com slash beat. Now, Alex, a pretty big game for the Patriots on Saturday night, a Game where I think that they can make a statement to a lot of people, a healthy Indianapolis Colts team that's a lot better than their record indicates. A lot of those detractors out there for the Patriots, the they haven't played anybody crowd. Everybody's been hurt that they've played against. Well, this is a legitimate opponent on the road in Indianapolis that the Patriots can go out and head and make a statement here on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I I don't know about that. I mean, I, I agree in that it's it's a big win and that they can make a statement. But remember, they hadn't beat anybody. And then, oh, if they beat the Chargers, that will be a real win. And then that's been yeah. forgotten. And then if they beat the Browns, that'll be a big win. And then that one was forgotten. And then the Bills sure. were the biggest game of the year. And that was going to tell us everything. And now that wasn't good enough. So I, I don't know how much more they have to prove. I, I still think the Bills win all things considered is a bigger win than a potential Colts win would be. We have to see how the game goes, but no, this is a monumental game. This is a massive game. This is a team that they very likely could face in the playoffs. So I think we will learn a lot about the Patriots, about both teams, honestly, on Saturday, uh, big stakes. I, w- I want to get into some of the minutia of the matchup here in, in a second, but last big picture topic to discuss here with this matchup to me do you feel this Colts team's as good as people are saying they are? Because I look at them on paper and I think that offensively they are a very well-balanced and extremely good running team, right? There's no doubt about that. And they can throw the ball well enough to at least make you, make you respect that part of their game as well. Defensively, they have a ton of takeaways, but they're one of those defenses that is either taking the ball away or they're giving up yards, right? There, There's no right. real in-between. This is not a dominant defense. Now, in 2021, taking the ball away 29 times and playing this style of defense might be the new way to control a game defensively. They forced five turnovers in that game against Tampa Bay a few weeks ago, and that kept them in the game on a defensive standpoint. Otherwise, the Bucks did whatever they wanted. They ran the ball. They threw the ball on Indianapolis, but they were able to have those turnovers, especially those forced fumbles. But do you feel, I think, uh, who was it that earlier this week I uh, said at the podium that watching them on tape, it feels like they're undefeated, right? I, I forget which Patriots player. I think said it was that. Judon. Yeah, it might have been Judon. 
do you feel that they're that good? Because I, I think that a lot of the attention right now on the Colts is extremely positive for a seven and six team. Yeah, I think they're in some ways like I, I think their their greatness is in some ways similar to the Patriots. What I mean by that is they don't have the elite roster talent, right? They don't have the household names up and down the roster that a team like the Chiefs or the Packers has, or even a team like the Bills has. Uh, yeah. But they do certain little things at such a high level that it makes them a very good team, right? Yeah. With the Patriots, whether that's the way they run block, the way they force turnovers, the way they can communicate and, and alter what they do on defense, right? There are little things that you know aren't going to get gushed about on the Sunday morning TV shows, but they make a major difference. I kind of look at the Colts the same way where – I don't know that, you know, T.Y. Hilton isn't the player he once was. Like, they have Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, Jonathan Taylor. Like, to me, those are their elite household players. They have four of them. Um, But they just have so many other guys who do the little things so well that it kind of puts them above. It makes them a better team than you would think they are just quickly glancing at their roster. Yeah, really well-coached team on both sides. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's part of that, yeah. A good system, a good infrastructure in place. And I watched a little bit of the hard knock stuff that they that they have done with Indianapolis this season, uh, not to, to advance scout like Bill Belichick and his staff did, but I was just curious to see Frank Reich and how he carried the room and, and how he led his team. And you see a lot of the of really good things, A, calm cool and collected coach that understands his system understands what he's asking of every single player and it does feel like in a lot of ways i agree with your analogy that their sum of parts is greater than necessarily right. the individual talent on the roster now that they don't have any talent but i i think what we're both getting at is this there, if i could if, if i could jump in real quick so yeah. they're the antithesis of the buffalo bills yeah the bills are all talent like they're all just raw talent and they don't necessarily the pieces don't necessarily fit together and they're not well coached, but they have enough raw talent where they can win. It's that that old Belichick idiom, right? It's not about collecting talent. It's about building a team, a team like the Bill. And I don't mean to keep picking on the Bills, but it's just because the Patriots just played them. You have this kind of dichotomy here, right? The Bills are a collection of talent. The Colts were built as a football team, and I think you have to respect that. Yeah, and I also would say that Carson Wentz's season it's kind of a microcosm of what we're saying because they have Carson Wentz playing. Ex- I wouldn't say extremely good football, but good football, but most importantly playing within himself, right. And understanding uh, the infrastructure and the scheme around him. And he hasn't turned the ball over nearly as much a- as he had in years past with Philadelphia. So they take Carson Wentz, they put him back in this Frank Reich system that he almost won MVP with in 2017 he only has, I think he's what, 22 to five right now, touchdown to interception ratio. He's not turning the ball over like he was the last couple of seasons in Philadelphia. He's stayed healthy. Uh, somebody that I, I think isn't necessarily a problem a- as a passer, but isn't holding back the offense or the operation at all either at this point, which is something to be said for that as well. But let's get into the matchup of the Patriots defense against the, or excuse me, the Patriots offense against the Colts defense. And earlier this week, all of us are leading with the headline that Bobby Okereke gave everybody. And I like Bobby Okereke coming out of college, by the way. I thought he was a a decent prospect at the linebacker position. But he gave the Patriots uh, some fuel, I I would say, to a degree, especially Mac Jones, when he said that they're going to stop the run and they're going to put all of the game on Mac Jones' shoulders and, quote, see what Mac Jones is made of. Now, I don't want to 
look too much into this because going out there on Tuesday and telling the opponent your game plan is all is all kinds of dumb. Right. I mean, that, right. that so I wouldn't like overlook the fact that maybe this could be some gamesmanship and it might not play out exactly like this on game day. But I look at this Colts roster and I look at the way that they play defense. And although they do turn the, the quarterback over quite a bit in terms of stylistically their system, they, there's three things that really point to me like that's really where you want the Patriots to beat you is through the air because. Their pass defense is their weak point of the defense, right? They're they're right. 17th in pass DVOA this season. They're 26th in DVOA on passes to the middle of the field. And they're giving up over 70 yards per game to tight ends this season, which is dead last in the NFL. They've given up the most yards per game in the entire league to tight ends. So they can't defend the middle of the field in the passing game. They can't defend tight ends. Uh, they can't. They, all they do is play zone coverage. Right. They don't play much man that right. that spells like a disaster against Mac Jones, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith and the way the Patriots offense is built. And over the years, we've always said that you can't play zone coverage against the Patriots. And I think a big reason why everybody got to that point was because Brady always shreds zone coverage. But based off the stats that we have from over the last two years, I also think that Josh McDaniels is a really good play caller against teams that play a lot of zone coverage because He's had Cam and Mac now produce at a pretty good rate against zone two. So I don't think it was all Brady in that instance. I think that some of it is the way that the Patriots game plan and the zone beaters that they have up their sleeves for the different schemes that these teams run. This should be easy pickings in the passing game in a lot of ways. As long as the Patriots can take care of the football and Mac Jones doesn't get baited into interceptions, there will be openings in the secondary against this Indianapolis defense. So in a lot of ways, I, I would say to the Patriots, we're going to take away the pass. We're going to dare you to run it because that's our strength, right? You're running on, into our strength of our defense. Right. Instead, it sounds like they're going to try to put the game on Mac's shoulders. And I honestly think the Patriots will throw well against them if that's what they do. Well, it, it's interesting. It's kind of a bigger picture question, right? What do you do when your strength and your opponent's strength match, you know, match up? It's right. Do you want to play to your strength, even if that's what the opponent does better? Or do you want to play to your weakness you know, you have to play down your weakness, but maybe the opponent's weaker, right? There, I don't know that there's necessarily a right answer there. Big picture, you got to look game to game. Nothing against Mac Jones. Like, I think the Patriots passing game is fine, but I don't think anybody would disagree between run and pass. They're better at running the ball than throwing the ball. So, um, you know, I, I kind of took that as, and look, I don't think Okariki should have said it. I don't think he kind of put that stuff out there, but I kind of took that as, we know we're going to take away the run. We know we're going to take away the run because that's what we do. Um, I don't necessarily, I, I don't know that like if I'm the Colts, I don't want Mac throwing the ball a ton. I don't want them becoming one dimensional. So like, that's how I read it. I could be wrong, but it's, it's tough. It's a tough game plan for both teams. Cause it's true on, uh, or, or it's, it's tough for both teams on that side of the ball. Right. Because the Patriots probably would like to run the ball a decent amount in this game. Just objectively, they like to have a healthy mix of the run. This is a team where you can't, run a ton on them. So you kind of have to throw it regardless of what the Colts show you just, you know, the base, you know, analysis of it. Um, so we'll see what we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I do think I, I wouldn't be surprised if they test the run early because that's going to tell them a lot. And I think that, you know, I, I keep going back to that, that Titans game, right. With Jeffrey yeah. Simons and what he did to them and can DeForest Buckner have a similar impact. I think they maybe, even though they won that game, 
they maybe took a little too long to figure out the run wasn't there. And so I wonder if they kind of test because DeForest Buckner is on that level. I think Bill Belichick called him the best defensive tackle they'll face all year. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, if they run the ball early just to test Buckner and figure out early if that's going to be a you know a legitimate way to move the football or not. Yeah, I, I look at that Titans game from both sides of the ball, honestly, from that perspective, as a really good blueprint to how the Patriots can win this game, right? I, I think defensively from the Titans, they played a ton of zone coverage in that matchup against the Patriots, and Mac Jones goes up out there and throws for 310 yards, which is still his career high uh, right now. So you see what happens, I think, if you're the Titans, or excuse me, the Colts, if you sit in zone coverage against this Patriots team, then they're going to beat you and especially going to beat you in the middle of the field. I look at this as a game that, and I think I say this a lot. So, so maybe this is just a stylistic preference that I have the way you call a game, but I really hope that the Patriots pass to run, right? They, they start this game early on. Hey, if you're going to put eight guys in the box, if you're going to play single high against us and you're going to try to take away the running game and put it all on Mac, right. And, and do that sort of thing then we're going to throw you out of it. You know, we're, we're going to attack you down the field. We're going to attack these zone coverages. We're going to flood these zones deep, and we're going to get the ball down the field, maybe incorporate some play action to get those linebackers who are probably thinking run first this entire game to scream up to the line of scrimmage and hit it behind them, that type of thing. That, to me, would probably open up the running game more, and then you close with the running game late, right? You come back to the running game in the second half, and when they kind of adjust to what you're doing in the pass game, so I, when I look at this from a Colts perspective, it, it was surprising to hear Okereke say it just because why say that, right? Why, why put right. that out there? Why, why uh, poke the bear and why put your game plan out there publicly? But most importantly, I, I, I just don't think that this Colts defense is built well uh, to, to go out and stop the Patriots passing game. So if you're going to dare them to do that, then I, I don't know. It just seems like a backwards thing. And uh, most importantly, looking at that staff against tight ends, a couple weeks ago, they played the Bucks. Gronk had seven catches for 123 yards against them. Earlier on in the bad. season, Mark Andrews had 11 catches for 143 and two touchdowns against this Colts D. They play a ton of zone, like I said, but they play a lot of split safety zone as well. And the middle of the field is just begging for it. The seams, little sits in the voids of the zone coverage, things like that. Those are all going to be open for the Patriots all game long if they're able to throw the football as much as I think that they will, I think Mac's going to put up numbers in the passing game this week. There's one player I want to get this. I, I well, just, real quick back to that point. You know, yeah. I know like when I'm going on podcasts and stuff during the bye week, I got the question a lot, you know, what's the biggest change the Patriots should make? What's the biggest adjustment they should make during the bye week? And I kind of, I, I don't think there's a ton of answers to that question, but I kind of defaulted on, well, does, do they kind of get Johnny Smith more involved? Do they use that yeah. week to find new ways to use Johnny Smith? So, and you know, it kind of makes sense. We've seen them do that in the past where maybe the bye week wasn't this late in the year, but they've used the bye week to, you know, add entirely new concepts into the offense. And here's a perfect chance against a team that doesn't defend tight ends well to kind of jumpstart Johnny Smith here for, for a late season run and a playoff push. So um, I know a lot of people are going to hear those tight end numbers and think about Hunter Henry and, Certainly, you know, he's got the dad strength now, first game since he had a kid. There, there's like act, the whole dad strength thing across sports. There's numbers that support that, that players yeah. have a small window where they play better after having a kid. So capitalize on Hunter Henry's dad strength, certainly on Saturday. But then I think, too, this is a great game if you are going to jumpstart John New Smith. And they've been telling us down there, players, coaches, that his breakout game is coming. 
here we go. This seems like a perfect opportunity for a number of reasons. Yeah, I want to try to pull this up real quick because in that game against Tampa, it wasn't just Gronk. Cameron Brait had a few uh, big catches in that game as well, right? So they had the two tight end thing going against this Colts defense. Yeah, here you go. Uh, Cameron Brait, three for 23. Okay, so maybe they were just some critical third downs that I'm thinking of that that he moved the chains on. But still, three for 23 plus the 123 that Gronk had, that's over 150 yards from your tight end in the game, right? So I think that that's definitely a point of attack for this Patriots defense. I wrote down some game records here on the uh, uh, for the Colts defense and on the Colts offense. But I want to, obviously, we're talking about the defense right now. And uh, the biggest, we talked about Buckner. I also want to talk about Darius Leonard a little bit, who maybe to me is somebody that you can potentially run over a little, you know, he's an undersized linebacker. He's more fast and athletic, uh, kind of in that Edmonds Milano mold than he is in a Dante Hightower type mold, but he's been a absolute tackling and turnover machine since they drafted him basically instantaneously uh, being a force in the middle of the defense, particularly strips the ball out a ton. A ton. And you look at some of these Patriots running backs, uh, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, those guys have fumbled and put the ball on the ground a little bit this year. So he is somebody in this whole Colts team. They have 14 forced fumbles on the year. Uh, They lead the league in fumble recoveries. Uh, This is a team that is going to strip the ball, that's going to attack the football. And the Patriots ball carriers have to be careful. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, Leonard generally is going to play in between the hashes to Forrest Buckner in the middle, too. Yeah. I wonder if the Patriots try to keep the ball more to the perimeter. And look, Leonard can get there. He's a sideline-to-sideline player. But I wonder if they they run the ball more to the outside, more, you know, stretch runs, toss runs, that sort of thing, just to kind of get away from both Leonard and Buckner. You know, it it, it almost sounds too easy, too simple to be a true strategy. But, it you know, teams have done things like that before. Yeah. And uh, one last game record here that I think deserves a lot more credit than he gets is Kenny Moore, the, the nickel corner for Patriots legend, Kenny for Moore, Indianapolis. Yeah. Patriots legend, a guy that probably could contribute right now on the Patriots if he was still around. He gets the ball. Uh, he's a ball magnet, right? He, he's around the football a ton. Uh, he, interceptions, great awareness and zone coverage, as Jacoby Myers talked about today. This has great instincts and feel um, for the zones that he plays in their coverage system. And is really somebody that if you're looking for a, a ball hawk that could that could sneak up on Mac Jones and pick one off, Kenny Moore is definitely the guy that could do something like that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, he's a good player. I mean, what, what was the quote today? He's got incredible zone awareness, something like yeah. that. You know, yeah. you talk about throwing into the zones again. This is something where I wonder. We, we see the way Kenny Moore can break on the ball. Do you just kind of because I I don't you know the Colts don't have much in the secondary besides Kenny Moore. I mean, there's nobody that really – am I missing somebody? There's nobody that really jumps out to me. Yeah, that's that's really – the biggest thing that stands out to me, you know, Rocky Austin's a tough player, right? He's that hard-nosed guy, Temple tough type of guy. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, obviously long, but but has some speed issues with them. This is not a star-studded secondary. Right, so you can just – Most of their talent is is in the front seven on the defensive line. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, again, to my point, like you, I think you can kind of throw away from Kenny Moore when you need to. One other thing on Rocky Austin, I want to mention, and this is kind of an overarching comment on the game. And I, this isn't to make excuse for the officials. This isn't to blame the officials. The game hasn't happened yet, but Carl Sheffers is the head official. It's him and his crew for this game. Yeah. They have called the second most penalties of any crew in football this year. 
and specifically, they've called the most pass interference both ways. Yeah. They've called the most offensive and defensive pass interference. So, you know, because you mentioned Rocky Asin, right? I, I think Rocky Asin is a decent player, but he plays very physically. He's a very physical corner. In a game where you have officials that like to call pass interference, that also call a ton of defensive holding penalties, it might be more diff- difficult for him than a guy like J.C. Jackson, who's more comfortable playing an arm's length away from the receiver and can kind of recover if he's not body to body with the receiver when the ball is thrown. So, you know, we talk about Kenny Moore as somebody who can maybe give them trouble. I don't necessarily think they're going to, you know, come out and Joe Flacco underthrow balls to try to, to, to draw flags, but yeah. Bill scouts the officials just like he scouts the opponent. I mean, he's aware of every single, you know, aspect element on that field. I wonder if they go at Rock Yasin early with a bigger receiver, a Kendrick Bourne, or even an Akeel Harry, and see if they can get him grabbing or get him hitting contact early because what flies in other games for him might not fly on Saturday. It's like kind of a little thing, but yeah. it's something, you know, you can't put it past them. It's something I think is interesting. Yeah, we got to shout out our friends at, at LinkedIn, but I, I want to hit on that in a second. But first, uh, LinkedIn, these days, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of the only the most qualified then use the simple tools on linkedin jobs to qualify to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire it's why small businesses rate linkedin jobs number one and delivering quality hires versus leading competitors linkedin jobs has you find the candidates you want to talk to faster did you know every week Nearly 40 million seekers visit LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash beat. That's linkedin.com slash beat to post your job for free. And uh, just to wrap this up with the uh, pass offense. What you could have said, though, is speaking of pass interference, don't let a slow job search interfere with your business. Let's see. This is why we got to have you do these. You'll get one of these one day. You're right. Uh, I want to, I think that's a good point though, about the refs and in general, it just speaking to this Colts D because I just went on this whole 10 minute thing about how playing zone coverage against the Patriots is probably not a great idea, how they can't guard any tight ends in zone. The Pats have two tight ends that they could get the ball to. So if Frank Reich is a true game plan coach, right, then you right. would expect them to play a little bit more man coverage in this game than what they're typically accustomed to doing. But if you're going to do that against a, a group of refs that throw the most DPI flags in the league and you're not a team that typically lends itself to playing a ton of man coverage, uh, that seems to be something that could be problematic for Indianapolis's defense as well. So I, I look at that. I, I agree with you 100% that the flags could come, but it might actually in, prohibit them in a way from playing as much man coverage as they probably would want to play against the Patriots. I, I think that that's – a they're really a 20% man coverage type of team. And they probably would have liked to been a little bit more 50, 50 in this game, just based off the matchups, probably not going to happen. If you're going to be getting uh, holdings and DPIs all game long thrown by the refs. And you're not a team that technique wise uh, drills a ton of man coverage. That's how you get penalties, right. Is, is by right. being having poor and sloppy technique. Uh, last thing here on the Patriots offense against the Colts defense, Damian Harris, 
uh, questionable for this game officially with that hamstring injury. We've been out of practice all week long, Alex. Obviously a limited portion that we're able to watch. Didn't look like he was moving too well on Tuesday. Right. We saw a little bit of extended positional drills on Tuesday. Uh, looked a little bit gimpy. Looked like the hamstring was bugging him just a tad. Are you expecting I I kind of I'm not saying I have any inside information on this, but I do kind of expect him to suit up. I, I don't know if he's actually going to end up being a huge factor. Or is this going to be a Ramondre game? Yeah, I, I don't have any inside information on it either. Hamstrings are always tricky, right? So you never really know. Granted, that was a practice, you know, early in practice. You know, once he gets to the game, it's five days later. Can they give him a little something? Ivan Fierce said it this week. If there's a way he can play, he's going to play. I, I don't yeah. think Damian Harris is going to be non-existent in this game plan. I don't know if I tell people to start him in fantasy. Um, but I, I do think this could be a big Ramondre game. But what flips that is, you know, Ramondre has been better with the ball security. He's been better, but yeah. he is still a rookie. Damian Harris is probably, if you're talking about ball security solely, Damian Harris is probably the better option. So if Ramondre Stevenson puts the ball on the ground early, you, that, now you're talking about Harris versus Brandon Bolden and things could get, get this, interesting. This could, so this could end up being a little bit of a Brandon Bolden. Right. Game. I mean, in, I'm inclined to lean and say it could be a Brandon Bolden game. And yeah. for what it's worth, Brandon Bolden maybe had his most notable career moment against the Colts at yeah. it's not RCA dome. Wow. I knew, um, I knew at you were going to stadium somehow. If, if people don't remember, Brandon Bolden was oh, one of two remember. players. I can't remember who the other one was. Brandon Bolden was. Why, was, why does it feel like it was Steve Gregory? I just feel like. I, I think it was. I wanted to say Steve Gregory. I feel like he's always in the middle of those types of plays. I have no idea if it was actually Steve Gregory, but. It was. Hang on. Oh, no. Sorry. It was John Bostick. Oh, OK. And then Patrick Chung right. came in later. Yeah. Um, and Logan Ryan. They actually had like five guys make that tackle. But anyway, Brandon yeah. Bolden was the first man there to make the tackle on the famous Colts fake punt. So, you know, you talk about the highlights of Brandon Bolin's Patriots career. We're not going to talk about the one play with the Dolphins, obviously. Um, but you have the wheel route against the Broncos in the snow on that yeah. Sunday night game. Um, and I, I mean, this would probably be too, right? Making the tackle on that play. So uh, he's returning to, to one of his spots of glory. So maybe that, maybe that helps fuel him. Does feel like a game where when you face a team that gets the ball out on the ground as much as Indianapolis does, and their their stat is actually I don't know if I've ever seen this before. They have fourteen forced fumbles and they've recovered all fourteen of them, which is bizarre. Really? Yeah, that's impressive. That's yeah, very impressive. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. When I looked at, I had to look it up twice because I was, is that accurate or have they just you know missed a couple? But no, they have forced fourteen fumbles and they've recovered fourteen fumbles which is really a testament to team speed in my mind, right? Yeah. Instinctiveness and, and, and ball hunting, obviously, but a lot to do with team speed and having a ton of guys around the football at all times that you just have more bodies at, at the point of attack in order to get on that ball. So it could be a Bolden game if they feel like ball security is an issue uh, for Harris, if it's a hamstring, and then Stevenson, if he's a little shaky with ball security early on, uh, they could just turn it over to Bolden and, and trust the veteran to hang on to the football. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline has you covered all season, more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 
to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Uh, let's move over to the defensive side of the football. Talk about this Colts offense, which I think uh, other than Dallas, they, they did play Dallas earlier this year, and I, I guess Tampa Bay we can throw in there as well. This is one of the most well-balanced offenses that the Patriots will face all year long. Uh, they can do pretty much anything that you present to them, right? As in, if you load up and you put eight guys in the box and you come out in base defense, they will spread you out and they will throw the football like they did against Tampa Bay. If you go out there and you play nickel or dime, you try to load up and stop the pass and really make them one-dimensional as a running team, they'll run it right down your throats. They, they will take whatever the defense gives them and they feel confident enough in their execution to exploit the weakness in whatever way, shape or form that you want to do it. So from a, stylistic perspective in terms of this game flow it really comes down to what personnel the Patriots decide that they want to put on the field do you want to play this game at a base do you want to play it at a nickel Uh, which way do you want to force the Colts hand more and in a strange way and I know this is a little bit of my my nerd analytics brain here Alex as well so bear with me but in a strange way I feel like I would almost say to them if you want to beat us running the football at Jonathan Taylor, then go ahead. Similarly, we mentioned the Titans game earlier, right? And I look at this in a lot of the same way that if the the Titans ran for 270 yards against the Patriots and only scored 13 points. So if you can go into this game like that, yeah, maybe you give up a ton on on the ground, but you only give up 100 yards through the air. I think that's a more viable strategy than allowing Carson Wentz to take those big linebackers and spread them out and throw all game on Dante Hightower and Jawan Bentley and Kyle Van Noy in coverage. Yeah, I also, just one thing I wonder about this Colts offense, and I'll ask you this. I tried asking Devon Gotcha about this today, and he kind he, he didn't really give me a straight answer to the question. Um, so the players and the coaches from the Patriots, they've talked about when we ask them, oh, what do you see in, in Quentin Nelson? What do you see in Ryan Kelly, right? Some of these really good linemen. They yeah. say, well, it's not just that they have good individual linemen. They play really well as a group. And I'm, yeah. you know, I'm still trying to figure out exactly they're, they're emphasizing it. So it's clearly something they believe strongly. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that means, because I don't know just the way offensive line play works. I don't know that you can like have a bunch of individually really good offensive linemen who play poorly as a group. Like I'm trying to picture what that would look like in outside of, poor blitz pickup i i can't really comprehend it so, so I, i'm just you know you're the offensive line guru i'm just yeah. curious what you think of them or am i making too big of a deal about it have they not said it as much as maybe i think they have so i, I think the biggest thing is is when you look at run blocking in particular with the offensive line it's a dance right you have to be right. able to play as one and in unison and and kind of flow together as a line and this line in particular uh, and the way that they run the football they are a big outside zone, mid zone team, right? So they're they're going out to the sideline and they're trying to flow the defense from left to right, and they're going to pin you down and cut it back up through the middle of the field. That's how Jonathan Taylor's hit the majority of his big home run runs have been right up the gut of the defense because they get you to overcommit, pin you down, and then cut it back. So what they do really, really well. And when I watch them on table, Quinn Nelson's a fantastic player. He's one of the best guards in football. A lot of what they do from a run game perspective is around Nelson. But Ryan Kelly at center might be the most important player 
on the line because the way that they block outside zone is especially against odd front teams that put a guy over the nose is they're going to have Kelly kind of chip or, or combo the nose tackle and allow Quentin Nelson then to overtake the nose and then free up Kelly to get to the second level, right? That's the key exchange is Kelly chipping the nose into Nelson's block and then climbing up to the linebacker level. So the big key for me in this game from a run defense perspective for the Patriots is whether they leave Devon Godshaw on the nose or it ends up being Carl Davis, whichever one it is, holding up Ryan Kelly and not allowing him to be really what is the speed of that line, right? And, right. and that an outside zone scheme is about chemistry and it's about speed. It's a, it's a speed type of block. So in order to get, hold this whole thing up, you got to make the nose, you got to make the center worry about the nose tackle. If the center, if the nose tackle is an afterthought and he can just blow right by the nose and get up to the linebacker level, then you're going to see a lot of big runs. But if they can get the nose tackle to hold up Ryan Kelly and occupy Ryan Kelly and not allow him to get out, then that's going to be a really key thing for this game. So in a lot of ways, I I do think that they might come out in that big uh, package with Davis, Godshaw, and Lawrence Guy on the defensive line because they run that three, four, you still have Judon and Van Noy on the edges to rush the passer, right? It's not like you'd have no pass rush presence just because you have the three big bodies in the middle. And you can also blitz the linebackers like Hightower and Bentley up the middle to get some more brush. So I look at it and I, I see that as probably being the way that they go play this game at a big nickel, put those three guys on the field together. Yes. It does take Christian Barmore off the field a little bit, but I think you can have a role for Barmore once you do get into some obvious passing situations. I'm not sure this is uh, necessarily a huge Christian Barmore type of game on early downs, just because gap integrity and control is number one against this team. All they are trying to do is cut back. That's it. That's what they want to do. They want to pin you down and they want to cut it back up through, but these outside zone schemes, whether it's Indy, uh, it's, you know, the, the Niners and, and the Shanahan tree and the McVeigh tree the, it's all about continuity and flow. And I think that that's when they talk about playing together as a unit, that that's really what they're getting at. Yeah. I would agree with this, not being a big Barmore game, at least not early. Right. Maybe if they get a lead and they start throwing, um, I also thought it was really interesting what Barmore said about Ryan Kelly this week that, you know, he's a legend at Alabama. Think about how good yeah. you have to be, to be a legend at yeah, Alabama. He's a really good player. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I also don't know how big of a high tower and Bentley game this is. And you think you know against a great running team, those are the guys you want on the field. But me and you have talked about this off the air a little bit. If you put those two out there, the Colts are going to recognize that and start going from play, start throwing play action and start yeah. attacking those guys. And the Titans yeah. did that. If you remember back, the Titans, you know, they, they, the Patriots came out to stop the run. They had high tower and Bentley on the field, and the Titans targeted them off play action. It worked. Part of the reason the Titans lost that game is they randomly went away from that strategy after about yeah. two drives. Well, I'm not really sure why. That, that's what I'm concerned about with this Colts team is because I don't think Reich will go away from it, right? I, I think Reich will. Right. Remember that? So a, a really good kind of example of this, uh, Cleveland, right? They, the very first drive, they run down the Patriots' throats. They get in 7 nothing. The Patriots adjusted to that. On their third drive, the Browns came out in 12 personnel, the Patriots matched it with run personnel on their side. And then the Browns went empty and they ran three or four plays in a row out of no huddle empty, not allowing the Patriots to substitute. Now, Kevin Stefanski eventually huddled 
and the Patriots right. ran a linebacker off and ran a nickel corner on, and then the whole strategy went mute, right? But I don't think Frank Reich is that dumb. I, I don't think Frank Reich is is that is. I think he's smarter than that, and he realizes if he gets the Patriots' base defense out there, then that's a huge advantage to his passing game. And I think he's going to go after the passing. You also have to factor in that they are a big RPO team, a team that uses a ton of run pass options. This is the Eagles system from the 2017 season, right? This right. is Philadelphia's uh, offense from that Super Bowl. So you're going to see a lot of shotgun PA. You're going to see a lot of RPO actions. You're going to see a lot of those types of things. And the Patriots, in my mind, if you get these linebackers, Hightower, Bentley, Van Noy, you get these guys caught in these high leverage coverage situations in the middle of the field. And I think Indianapolis is going to move the ball really well in this game. That That's why I really feel like this is a three safety nickel type of game. You put yeah. Duggar Phillips and McCordy on the field together, you use Duggar as the nickel backer and you have a little bit of size there, uh, but you still have the flexibility to cover the middle of the field. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is, you know, the difference between the, the Browns game and the Titans game. And this one is, I think the, the Colts are more willing to throw, Right. I think the Colts are more willing to put the ball in the air regardless of what's happening. And that's where yeah. I think, and that's how they beat teams this year. They beat teams because they throw just enough where teams have to bring on those extra defensive backs. Those defensive backs aren't big enough or they're not skilled enough to stop the run and the Colts run it down their throat. The Patriots have a unique advantage in Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips, two safeties who can cover, but are also very instinctual against the run. They know what they're doing against the run. They can get downhill. They can make plays against the run where, yeah. look, are they the run stoppers, Dante Hightower and Juwan Bentley are? No, of course not. But right. they're, they're, they're at, you know, as far as safeties go, they're as good as you're going to get in that spot. And I don't think they're negatives. They're not pluses. They're probably neutrals. But I think you put those two on the field and you kind of make, now you make the Colts choose. Okay, are you going to throw? Because now they either have to throw against dime and nickel, or are you going to run the ball and test our test our safeties on the ground? And then again, like you talked about, you use those three big defensive linemen. I think you could really kind of, um, uh, I can't think of the word, but I think you can really you can, kind of put the you can marginalize it right. You're not going to completely shut it down, right? You know, Jonathan Taylor is going to get some of his, but like I said, go back to that Tennessee game. If the Colts think that they are going to put up points on the Patriots solely by running the football, then they have another thing coming. They're not going to. They won't right. score. They, they'll score 20 points in the game. If they could only run it, and they're averaging five yards per pass attempt, but they're and they run it 45 times in this game, it's going to go exactly the way it went for Tennessee. And that's the big thing to me in this game is that if I'm the Patriots, I don't overreact to how good Jonathan Taylor and the Colts run game has been, because I think that that's really feeding into the matchup for Frank Reich. And you put too many linebackers on the field. And I think that's when he's going to start to get you. And that's exactly what happened with Tampa Bay. They opened the game in base and they have more athletic linebackers than you do, by the way, right? Levante David and Devin white, and they opened the game in base they stopped the run effectively in the first half out of base, but they got absolutely shredded in the, through the air. Carson went through for 300 yards and three touchdowns in that game. And as the game wore on, the Bucks had no choice but to go to nickel because they're getting thrown on left and right out of base. Once they go into nickel, Jonathan Taylor averaged over seven yards per carry against their five DB package. Right. So you, you have to right. play that sort of cat and mouse game. And I wanted to read off this one last stat here. I, I got to go ahead and find it. So 
I think you kind of alluded to this, Alex, uh, when we were talking about this this week uh, during, down at Gillette. The Patriots this season, and uh, expected points added, the third best team in the league defending the run out of nickel. They are a very, very good nickel run defense. And a big reason why is because they play a lot of that three safety nickel. They don't play a lot of true three corner nickel. So you have the two safeties, Duggar and Phillips in the box that are essentially, you know, undersized linebackers. A lot of these right. teams like Duggar's the same size as Matt Milano, right? He's right. literally the same right. size, you know? So it, it, a lot of these teams are playing linebackers and they're wearing linebacker numbers. If Duggar played for the Bills. He might be wearing a linebacker number and not a safety number. He just happens to be wearing a safety number with the Pats. So they're very, very good nickel run defense. They're not a very good base pass defense. So if you ask me, big nickel game through and through here for the Patriots. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to hit on here uh, before we uh, talk about this Jag stuff here at the end. I, I wrote down game records for the defense, right? Buckner and, and Leonard and more. Yeah. offensively, the game record to me is Naeem Hines. It's not Jonathan yeah. Taylor. Naeem yeah. Hines seems like a really difficult guy to match up for for the Patriots. They use him at a bunch of different alignments. They run a lot of two-back uh, with the Taylor and Hines as well, where uh, Hines will line up in uh, kind of like a tight end alignment sometimes, then a line up in the backfield, then a line up out wide or out of the slot. He is a wide receiver, uh, and an explosive playmaker, and one of the biggest reasons why I wouldn't put base out there is because they'll put Hines out there against Hightower and Bentley and they'll get those guys uh, matched up on Hines. And that is a bad news bears for the Patriots if that happens. Right. So I, he's the one guy when I look at this Colts passing game, I don't think a lot of these Colts receivers scare me all that much. Like if, if you tell me that Michael Pittman's going to get one on JC Jackson, then I, so be it. Like, I, I don't really see right. that happening too often. Uh, Jack Doyle is a decent tight end, but the Patriots have done a great job defending tight ends all year long. And he's not Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Mark Andrews or Gronk, right? You know, he's kind of in that second or third wave of tight end type of players, but Hines feels like the guy that, is a little bit of a wild card in this game in terms of how exactly they're going to plan for him. Yeah, I, I, I would, I mean, he's kind of that tricky quick back, you know, we talk about the, um, you know, compared to the Eagles offense of 2017. Why can't I think of the running back who caught the touchdown? That wasn't a touchdown. Oh, Corey Clement. Right. He's kind of the Corey Clement, right. Yes. Of this offense. So that's, you know, again, to make that comparison, these kind of backs have given the Patriots troubles fits, especially in this offensive scheme. Um, and, he, you know, he's, he's particularly good at his role. So he stands out. I'll get, can I give you, you two more and then we'll get yes. on to the other stuff. Um, yeah. So just to go back when, when you're talking about, you know, the Colts can't just run the ball down the field and expect to score enough. Something else to watch here. Colts have one of the worst red zone offenses in terms of scoring touchdowns in the NFL. 57% that ranks 22nd Patriots have the best red zone defense in football. Not just, you know, in terms of keeping points off the board altogether over a lot too. Right. Yeah, they yeah. get a lot of turnovers in the red zone. So I think for the Colts, you're going to have to score from outside the 20 to win this game. And Jonathan Taylor can certainly do that. He's yeah. a home run hitter. But if the Patriots get ahead, you don't necessarily have enough tries to manufacture that home run carry as you might otherwise. So I think that kind of goes to your point of is a 30-35 carry game for Jonathan Taylor a legitimate way the Colts can win this game? Um, if they were better in the red zone, maybe. But I think the red zone struggles take away from that. And then one other just quick observation I have on this game. 
and I kind of did this for the Bills game, right? Remember I talked about how important it was to score first, and it's like, yeah, no, duh, that's important in, in every NFL game, but it was just magnified for that one. It turned out to be right. So I have another one for this game where, yeah, no, duh, this is important. Again, I think I said made this joke last week. Bill would kick my ass for saying this is important because it's always important. But I think especially this week, turnovers. Yeah. I think this is, you know. That's how every, the Bills win this game, if you ask me. Right. Every game, every single NFL game, turnovers are a top three most important element in the game. But I think this week, it's one and two. Because if you look at the difference between the, the two and four Patriots to start the season, right? And the set, right, well, yeah, seven and oh Patriots since. The biggest difference is they're not turning the ball over as much on offense. And they're creating a lot more turnovers on defense. Yeah. And that pattern has to continue for them to be successful. And you have a team on the other side that creates a ton of turnovers. It is adept at creating turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. And the Colts have lost every game in which Carson Wentz has turned the ball over this year. Neat little stat for you. Not that the offense has turned the ball over, but when it's Carson Wentz turning the ball over, they've lost every single one of those games. So to me, this entire game I don't know if you can bet these kind of things in Vegas, but if you can bet whoever wins the turnover margin wins the game, I would bet a sizable amount of money on that because that feels like, you know, that's the way this game is going to go. Again, important every week. I know I'm not breaking any ground here, but I think the turnover battle in this game is is even more so than average. Absolutely massive. Yeah, I think the first point that you made uh, hammered home my point, so I appreciate that because yeah. that that is really the game, right? Well, because I was trying to get it in, and then you switched to something, but yeah, yeah. it's the same idea. That's the really the game is you can get run on between the twenties by Jonathan Taylor. You just can't let him house it, right? You right. just can't let him take it out from forty yards. If you don't let him take it in from forty yards out, and you force them to execute down in the red area, and you can keep them off the scoreboard that way then that's the game right there. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's exactly how the Titans game went, right? Was, yeah, the Titans ran for 270 yards against them, but their big runs happened in the middle of the field, right? And one of them ended in a fumble. So that, that was a big part of that game as well. Now the Colts might not fumble at the end of the run like Dante Foreman did, but even the you know that run, a couple of the other runs, those didn't go for touchdowns. The Patriots were able to tackle the guy at the you know inside the field of uh, of the twenties, in between the twenties, and then force the Titans to execute down in the red area, and they couldn't do it. So that's a game right there for the Patriots. You might get run on a little bit, but just don't let them house it from forty yards out. Force them to beat you inside the red area where your strength is, and I think the Patriots are gonna are gonna come out fine in this game defensively. I, I'm not too concerned unless they invest all of their resources in stopping the run and they open up the passing game for Carson Wentz that way, I'm not too concerned about Carson Wentz just sitting there and beating your nickel defense through the air. Right. I, I just, I still don't think that he's on that level. I, and I don't think his weapons are on that level either, to be honest with you. Right. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. And so dispensaries are inviting and modern. So come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering 
for insomnia and anxiety or Reco for hanging with friends. Insa has a world-class head chef too and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the Insa founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, Insa. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, insa.com or 877-500-INSA. Should we hit on the Jags here and uh, and have some fun at Urban Meyer's expense? Uh, one o'clock this morning. <laughs> the one time I go to bed early. The one time Alex goes to bed early. The Jaguars, I always go to bed early. The Jaguars decide to fire Urban Meyer after 13 games, a tumultuous 13 games, I think is putting it lightly, right? I mean, this really could have happened after he got the lap dance at the bar from the college girl in, in Columbus, right? Uh, they go to an 11, a lot of, people probably get fired after a two and 14, two and 15 season anyways, regardless of all the other things that go on. He kicks his kicker in the leg during the preseason. <laughs> he, kicked his, he kicked his kicker in the leg. He, in the he, I, I think it was uh, Aaron Wilson had the report uh, earlier today that he said he told his assistant coaches that he had a better staff at Bowling Green uh, than he does in Jacksonville, <laughs> who, by the way, Urban, you're the one that hired the staff right. in Jacksonville, right? You're the one that put the staff together. So you have pretty much everything under the sun goes wrong for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer. They fire him in the middle of the night. They ruin Trevor Lawrence's first year in the league. Trevor Lawrence is getting up there at the podium in press conferences, and he's being the voice of reason and the guy that has any sort of uh, you know respect at all, right, and, and saying – we got to play our best players. Uh, we got to get the stench out of Jacksonville. You know, he's saying all the right things. Meanwhile, his coach is a degenerate. So no more Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. You can, why don't you hit on that first, and then we'll get into the next domino here. Yeah, I, I mean, the craziest thing about all of this is I think it went exactly as we all expected it to. Nobody thought that was a good hire. There's a reason Urban Meyer, one, was a career college coach. Two, there was a reason he wasn't coaching in college anymore. Three, there was a reason that even when he was, you know, rolling at Florida and Ohio State, he was never really a serious candidate for any NFL jobs. It was it was never going to happen. It was never going to work. So, you know, I thought they'd give him the season just because the Jaguars have generally been very patient with coaches. I'm a little bummed he didn't make it to Patriots week. I can only imagine what he would have said about yeah. Belichick. Um, but, yeah, no, he's, he's gone and – you talk about they wasted Trevor Lawrence rookie year. Rookie year is an important year. I mean, who knows yeah. what kind of damage was done behind the scenes? Are there things about Lawrence's game that may be irreparable? Right. Right. Is, is he, he's not quite Josh Rosen, but is he gone too far down that road that he can't come back? So it was a bad hire to begin with. They got what they were asking for. I hope Andre Cisco becomes a pro bowler now. And I wouldn't be surprised like Andre. So it, for people who Andre don't know Cisco's who that playing is playing more, what are you talking about? What Andre Cisco's playing more? What are you talking about? So for people who don't know who that is, Andre Cisco is he a rookie or a second year player? I think he's um, a rookie. He went to Syracuse, right? Out of, right out of yeah. Syracuse, he's a safe. Watching him, yeah, he's a rookie. He's a third round pick. And interceptions in Syracuse, really. He, good. He's a pretty, he's a pretty good player. Like a yeah, nice little prospect. Player. You know, yeah. he's not Michael Parsons, but he can play. Anyways, he like 
started seeing his playing time decline seriously throughout the season to the point it, and urban Meyer kept getting asked about it. He would basically just refuse to answer the question. And a couple of weeks ago, they asked him about why Cisco forced a fumble on an opening kickoff and then didn't play for the rest of the game. And urban Meyer said, well, no, he's been playing more, even though he played again, zero snaps in that game. And then they asked him about it again. He said, well, look, I don't want to sacrifice winning. So a younger player can get experience. The long story short, Urban Meyer's just been punching down on this kid for three months for yeah. no reason. He's a good football player, and I can't wait to find out he's like the best safety taken in the draft. But um, things aren't getting much better for the Jaguars. Uh, Trevor Lawrence at the podium today was asked if Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and he said he's never seen Die Hard. <laughs> so the Jaguars, even post Urban Meyer, are still a bit of an embarrassment. But. <laughs> yeah, cause, yeah, because of that. All right, so that's a great movie. Everybody should see Die Hard. That's true. the The next domino here I wanted to talk about was obviously Josh McDaniels, and not only does this coincide with Colts Week, which is a, a nice little angle there for for us as well in the media, but also just I have heard, and I, I'm writing about this over the weekend in my mailbag that there is a little bit of a renaissance here. Uh, Josh McDaniels' star is starting to shine a little bit again, right? And you look at what he's done with Mac Jones, but also I think some people around the league thought, point to some of the other quarterbacks he's developed and, and brought along, like Jimmy Garoppolo as well. And although Bill deserves all the credit in the world and gets all the credit in the world, the guy that has been in the trenches with Mac Jones since rookie minicamp and basically tied to Mac. I mean, we, we go out there, we saw camp and we saw all the practices, right? Josh McDaniels was never more than 10 feet for Mac Jones at any point. Right. right. I mean, that was they, the two of them have been glued to the hip uh, since Mac Jones got here and look at the season that Mac Jones has had under Josh McDaniels. If you are a team, whether it's Jacksonville whether it's Chicago, whether it's another team that ends up opening up their head coaching position, and you either have a young quarterback or you have a quarterback that you're thinking about drafting that you want to pair with a new coach, like bringing in Josh McDaniels to work with your quarterback and also call your offensive plays, you could do a whole lot worse than that as a team. And you could hire Urban Meyer. Right. So you look at uh, Josh McDaniels' shine, maybe uh, getting a little bit polished here around the league for what he's done with Mac Jones and uh, some of the other things that he's done as a coordinator in the past, maybe distancing himself a little bit from what happened with the Colts in 2019 is a big part of it too. We're a couple of years removed from that now as well. So uh, the stench kind of wears off. So the question I have for you for the chat, Alex, is number one, uh, should the Jaguars want Josh McDaniels? And number two, should Josh McDaniels want the Jaguars? Yeah, I, you know, it, it does seem to make sense. But, you know, Vegas is generally pretty good with these things. They have McDaniels is, I think it's like the eighth most likely coach. They have at 14 yeah. to one odds tied with Pete Carroll. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense both ways. Here's some of the questions. I think wherever McDaniels goes, he's going to want full roster control. Yeah. Jaguars already have a general manager in place. Will they fire whoever it is whose name is escaping me, but it's his first year on the job. Are they going to fire him uh, for McDaniels? Is is McDaniels, does he want to work with an owner like Shad Cod who doesn't? I think he's really supportive of the team. I don't think he entirely knows what he's doing. Shad um, doesn't know what he's doing at all. Shad out on some sort of yacht somewhere, right? And he, right. he's looking to invest money in, in the Jaguars. Don't get me wrong. He'll spend. But he's looking to give the keys over to somebody that can run the entire football operation for him so he can just show up in game day and, and, and wave his pom-poms, right? 
He's not right. looking to to get involved in the weeds of of the of the operation of the team. Well, and the other thing is, I, I think a lot of it goes to what does Josh McDaniels think of Trevor Lawrence, right? You, yeah. You'd like to think he thinks he's an elite quarterback, obviously, because I think that's pretty much the consensus or an elite quarterback prospect. Uh, but you don't know. So I and I look at some of the names ahead on the list here: Byron Leftwich, Kellen Moore, uh, yeah. Eric Bieniemy, Joe Brady. That just make more sense to me. I think Leftwich because. At a certain point, too, I think you have to, I, I, you know, as much of as Jaguars fan base is an oxymoron, I think you do have to kind of mend the bridge, which was with whatever fans are there, because this last season to me was a slap in the face to the fan base. Like if I was a Jaguars fan, if I was one of those five people, right, if I was Emerson Lotzer, Kenny Middleton, who are the only two Jaguars fans in existence I know of, um, how do you not, you know, how are you not upset with the organization after all of that? Yeah. Because you basically got, you know, this was supposed to be this magical year where you brought in Trevor Lawrence and you were totally hitting the reset and you were going to recover from that stumble after the 17 AFC championship. And then they just completely buried it by hiring a coach that everybody knew wouldn't work. So, you know, I think the fan base would be receptive to somebody, um, uh, uh, like a Byron Leftwich, or even just a first for the organization, right? Uh, right, exactly. Yeah, I think, and he can bring. You know, maybe there's a little bit of that. Not that it wouldn't be with McDaniel's, but maybe there's a little bit of that. You know, Tom Brady magic with him that he brings over yeah. there. So, I just think Leftwich make assuming he wants to leave Tampa. I think Leftwich makes too much makes too much sense. And for McDaniel's, it's probably as good of a chance as he'll get. But if he truly does want to be a head coach long term, right? If that truly is his end goal, beyond you know, just being a, the default, the de facto heir apparent to Belichick in new England, he's got one more chance. Yeah. He only has one more chance to prove it. And if he doesn't think Jacksonville's where he can make it happen, he's not going to go. Yeah. The biggest factor for McDaniels that he is outwardly on the record saying this is in 2019, his family didn't want to go to Indianapolis. It, it was pretty much that simple, right? right. His, his wife, his kids, They've planted a ton of roots here in the New England area. They've been here for over 20 years. He did not, he didn't want to take his family to Indy and his family didn't want to go to Indy. They just had no desire. Now, Jacksonville, I've been there. It's warm. You can give it that, right? Not exactly the nicest place in the world, but it's very warm. Uh, maybe, hey, Mac Jones is from there. Jones is, you think Mac Jones like just Florida dumps a little bit more? I mean, Florida's nice. Like, don't get me wrong. He's just got a Gators out there in Jacksonville, though. You got to no, no income tax, though. Do you think Josh McDaniels would, or sorry, do you think Mac Jones would trash on his hometown to prevent Josh McDaniels from leaving? It's you don't want to go to Jacksonville. I lived in Jacksonville. There's nothing there. You don't want to go there, man. New England's great. I've been here for a year. I love it. Like, I don't know. So the, the other thing that I have heard though is that with Josh McDaniels in particular, I, he he there is a sentiment that he doesn't want to leave New England high and dry, right? If he doesn't feel like Mac Jones is well established enough in the system and in the league, and they don't feel like somebody on their current staff is ready to call the offensive plays yet, right. that I I don't know if he will leave Bill Belichick with nothing. You know what I mean? Like, no, no coordinator, no play caller, unless they feel like Nick Cayley or Troy Brown or uh, Mick Lombardi is ready to call plays. I, I don't know if he'll just ditch them, so to speak, right. w- without that. Now, maybe 
Bill convinces Bill O'Brien to leave Alabama to come back to New England for a few years, and they keep grooming those young guys, and eventually those guys can take over, and that they kind of use a transition coach or or a bridge coach uh, to fill the gap. But Mac is only one year into this thing. Uh, the Patriots don't have a guy on their staff. It's not like right now they have a Chad O'Shea. Right, who's been right. who's been somebody that's obviously a candidate to call plays and be an offensive coordinator. I don't know if they necessarily have that that coach currently yet on the staff that it's emerges that type of player uh, type of person for them. So, I, I do think that there will be some weight put into the fact that McDaniel's has started this thing with Mac. Uh, they, they've had a great rookie season together. And leaving in year two for Mac Jones and for the Patriots is is putting the organization in a, in a little bit of a tough spot. So so maybe we're more discussing Josh McDaniels as a true uh, legitimate option to leave in a, a year or two once Mac is a little bit more established in the NFL and is kind of that that star quarterback in the league instead of just a promising rookie quarterback. So I think the other interesting thing, you know, if we re- really want to blow this up to keep an eye on is somebody mentioned Bill O'Brien in the chat, and I think you just mentioned him. Uh, that's yeah. an interesting one. Yeah. What what happens with Steve Sarkeesian at Texas? Right. Because Texas just had, and look, he just signed a six-year, I think $40 million, something like that deal. Um, so he wasn't getting fired after one season, but it was potentially the most disappointing season Texas has had in 20 years, 20-plus 20 years, right? You lose to Kansas at home. Uh, they, they weren't bowl eligible. They had that horrible loss in Red River. Um the reason I bring this up, if people don't know, Steve Sarkeesian was Max OC at Alabama. Yeah. And he left last year to take the Texas job. And he is sort of in that Belichick sphere. He's more on the Saban side of it, but he's in that, you know, he, there's a branch on that tree. It's, it's out there. It's on the edge, but there's a branch on the, he's connected to that tree. So can I give you one other name? I, I, this is a name that I have long, really, really hoped would eventually come here. Joe Brady. No. Okay. Chip, Chip Kelly. No, if, no, if Billy no. Somehow he leaves UCLA. Oh, you know, of course you, he wants Chip Kelly. You know, Bill and Chip Kelly love each other. They have a mutual admiration society. That that would be good too to me no. as a bridge coordinator. I'm why do you want? Can Mac run Chip Kelly's offense? Yeah, why not? It's a it's a quick ba- quick passing based offense, right? No, I mean, it's it's if they, it's it's ground and pound slash spread and, and, and get it out. You know what I mean? It's a tempo offense. Read option heavy. It's so it's RPO heavy. I would say, you know, like I, I don't think you necessarily need to be true read option. I think that they could run it as RPO and it basically get to the same sort of stuff. I think you're, that's just you ran the offense with Nick Foles. I think that's Nick Foles sneaky mobile. I think that's just asking for Marcus Mariota to get paid too much money to be the backup quarterback here. <laughs> You know, I Steve Sarkeesian is the interesting one for me. If things go south with Texas again, like let's say Josh McDaniel stays, yeah. uh, if things go south with Steve Sarkeesian, go get a Brian Hoyer. That's not a terrible idea either. He might need a year or two in between. It's not awful. Yeah. Um, no. Nobody knows the system better than him. The question is, can he sequence together plays? Right. 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 The other one is in in Jacksonville. Uh, please let them hire Davo Sweeney. Please, yeah. please, like. Because as much of a, a bad guy, you know, as questionable as Urban Meyer is, both as an NFL coach and as a person, Davo's right there, if not more so. Like, that would just be the ultimate, yeah, you know, it didn't work, so we're going to try the exact same thing again. Please, and I'm surprised, I, I got to see if I still have those Vegas odds up. I don't think I do. You know, Davo 
is still bitching and moaning about college players being Yeah, he doesn't want the college players to get paid. He did say he would quit like five years ago. He said he quit if they ever started paying college players. We're still waiting on that, Dabo. Um, He just lost Brett Venables to Oklahoma, who's the real mastermind of Clemson football, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, And the ACC kind of sucks. It's He's not going to get to walk in to to title games, to uh, the college football playoff anymore just by winning the ACC. There's no good teams left. Look at what's happened to Florida State, right? BC's losing Kenny Pickett. So if there was ever a time for Dabo to jump to the NFL, not that any NFL team should want him, but if there was any time for Dabo to look towards the NFL, this is it. And clearly the Jaguars are willing and Shad Khan is willing to make that disastrous of a hire because they did just did it. So it would be fun. It would be very fun. Okay. All right. Well, that's been, by, the, by, by no means am I saying Dabo to Jacksonville would work. It would be the exact same thing. He'd be gone yeah. within a year. There'd be all these bizarre stories about him treating people horribly, but I want to see that it would be entertaining. Right. I, I think that that the Jaguars and Chad Khan need to make a real a real sharp decision here, right? Like a a real astute decision. You got Trevor Lawrence, even Andrew Luck, who retired because of the Indianapolis Colts' incompetence for the most part, still had what those three consecutive eleven win seasons, a trip to the AFC Championship yeah. game. They were even still able to put the thing together enough for Andrew Luck to succeed. So. You got to do better if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars for Trevor, poor Trevor Lawrence, who who's still a very, very talented guy and all those types of things. And uh, you got to hope it's not too late, first of all. Yeah. I And if I just from a McDaniel standpoint, I think the time is coming where he's going to start to get legitimate calls again uh, to be a head coach. And I, I think that he's got some decisions to make, certainly. But at the same time, if I'm the Patriots and I thought it was really interesting this morning, Andrew Callahan asked Belichick about. Uh, replacing people in the organization that that get poached by other teams, right? Replacing, he specifically asked about front office guys, but I thought Belichick's answer about having an eye towards the future and knowing that that's a possibility with different guys in your organization was a really insightful answer. So, you know, the Patriots have looked at it from an offensive coaching staff standpoint and say, Josh is good enough to be an off a, a head coach somewhere, right? He's right. good enough to be a head coach. Eventually, somebody's going to come along and t- and take him away. Who are we? Who's next, right? Who's next in line for us? And I think that that's going to be something the Patriots might have to address here soon. Also, really quickly, you mentioned Brent Venables going to Oklahoma. That is like a low key amazing hire by Oklahoma. Yeah. That might have been the best hire of all of the the car- the carousel in college football was uh, gla- grabbing Brad Venables from from uh, Clemson to Oklahoma. That he, I think he might be better at Oklahoma than Lincoln Riley was, and I know that's a little bit of a of a take. But. Well, you know, for they're transitioning to the SEC. I think his style. I don't know how well his style plays in the Big Twelve. I think his style played very well in the SEC. So, assuming he makes it that long, like that, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Alex and I will be back on the pod on, uh, are we going to do Monday or Tuesday? Uh, probably Monday. Quick Patriots breaking news to Ronnie Perkins on IR. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. Ronnie, Ronnie Perkins should have been on IR to start the season. Probably. Yeah. Red uh, shirt. 
Yeah, redshirt year, as we knew. Uh, So Alex and I will be back on the podcast on Monday afternoon to recap this game against the Colts on Saturday. Weather permitting, uh, the uh, the, uh, Boston area is supposed to get a ton of snow uh, on Saturday. Uh, Hopefully I get out in time to uh, be able to go to the game. So uh, I'll be there on Saturday night so you can check out all of our coverage on clnsmedia.com and on Patriots Press Pass from Indy. And I read Alex on 98.5 the sports hub.com, right? I always, yep. I always get that yep. URL wrong. You doing uh, any uh, radio over the weekend or anything else? Uh, this weekend? No, Not no that radio. I, that's anyway. I, I might, I don't know. So they sometimes just call me day of. So yeah, they, they got to on on Saturday. Come on. I mean, just, just keep, keep it to 98, five, the sports hub. There you go. Keep it to 98, five, the sports hub. Alex and I will be back on Patriots beat on Monday to recap Patriots Colts. And uh, then it's on to the Buffalo again. Yeah, get the the rematch of the Bills. That's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, So we'll have you covered all next week, the recap show on Monday. Later in the week, we will preview the rematch against the Buffalo Bills at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough a week from Sunday. That game is staying at 1 o'clock. So a 1 o'clock AFC showdown. The Patriots could be a hat and T-shirt game for the Patriots if they take care of business in Indy on Saturday. The Patriots could clinch the AFC East uh, on the following Sunday against Buffalo there are some crazy playoff clinching scenarios of the Patriots. 16 of them. The Patriots could technically clinch a playoff spot, not the AFC East, but clinch a playoff right. spot on Saturday if a bunch of different things happen over the weekend and the Patriots beat the Colts. But really the, the game that could put the Patriots in a really good spot is obviously if they win uh, both matchups in season against Buffalo. Uh, starting right. Regardless of what happens this week, they can clinch the division next week. Even if the Bills yeah. win and the Patriots lose this week, they can still clinch the division next week. Also, really, really quickly, I know we're going over here. Uh, Chiefs-Chargers tonight, Thursday night football. Geeky good game. Really, yeah. really good game. Uh, the Chargers have given the Chiefs some problems. It's a bad matchup for the Chiefs uh, just from a schematic standpoint. I'm really going to be interested to see uh, how this game looks for Kansas City. They have beaten up, and I know the people use this against the Patriots too, but – a lot of these uh, points that the Chiefs have scored over the last month or so, both of those ca- games uh, that they scored 40-plus were against the Raiders, right? So well, let's see if they can do it against a defense that's not the Raiders and, and, right. and, and the Los Angeles Chargers uh, here tonight. And obviously, if the Chiefs drop another game uh, to the Chargers, then that is one less four-loss team in the AFC uh, for the Patriots. And the Patriots might have messed around with a two and four start and might be the number one seed in the, in the conference. We're really, we're getting down to it. Obviously there's a long way to go still, but uh, if the chargers can upset the chiefs and, and the Patriots can get some help with Tennessee, I, this is really starting to become a, a true reality. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I have one more anyway, let's wrap it up. Let's, let's <laughs> we, we, we can talk about going. it on Monday, but until then signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. We'll see you guys Monday and enjoy the game on Saturday night.